Before we get into the message for this evening, let me draw your attention to just a couple of things. First of all, on page 7, the epistle reading read a few moments ago is one of the reasons I became Lutheran. You know, since the Reformation, there's been a lot of debate, unfortunately, about the nature of the Lord's Supper, what it is, what it's not. But when I read this passage, when it was explained to me by a Lutheran minister, my hesitation about the Lord's Supper, my confusion about it, cleared up. The words of Jesus alone should have done that. Jesus said, take eat, this is my body. We believe in the literal presence of Christ's body and blood in the Lord's Supper. The church has believed that for millennia. Jesus could have said, this bread represents my body. He did not say that. He could have said it represents or symbolizes my body, but he did not say that. He could have spoke uh, as in a parable. This bread is like my body. You know, the kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow. But he wasn't speaking in parables. He was speaking in clear, direct, literal language, which he often usually did. But the kicker to me, what really convinced me of Christ's words and the literal nature of them was this passage from 1 Corinthians 11. There's a passage in chapter 10 also that says essentially the same thing. St. Paul, in verse 23, quotes the words of Jesus in verse 24 and 25. And then he says this in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning what? The body and blood of the Lord. Not just bread and wine, but the very body and blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say that unworthily partaking of the sacrament can have physical side effects, detrimental side effects on the receiver of the sacrament that is to say, St. Paul puts a caution around the sacrament. You find no such caution around baptism, but you do around the Lord's Supper. And so this is why we say, we want everyone to commune with us, but we understand not everyone is ready at this moment. This is why Paul says, let each one examine himself in light of God's word, in light of the teaching, and then let him partake. That is the loving thing to do. That is our practice. Understanding Paul's words made Jesus' words come to life for me, and that's why I repeat them this evening. It's not what our sermon's about, but I think it's important to hear that. You can't hear it enough. And so if you're not partaking, you may remain in the pew, or if you come forward to the altar rail, cross your hands, bow your head, you will receive a blessing. The second thing I want to mention very quickly, this is Maundy Thursday. And people ask sometimes, what does that word mean, Maundy? It's from a Latin word, mandatum, which means command. This is reflected in verse 34. 
of our gospel reading, page 8, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, a new mandatum, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, that word mandatum, we don't go around saying it's mandatum Thursday. It's been shortened to Maundy. And in recent years, it's more or less known as Holy Thursday. It's the same thing. But this is the evening in which our Lord washed his disciples' feet. This is the evening in which our Lord instituted the Holy Supper. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, your sermon outline on page 9, Roman numeral 1. In verse 34, Jesus commands you to love, and you're to circle the correct answer. A, your neighbor. B, your world. C, your church. What do you think? You're commanded to love whom? Crickets. Well, we're certainly commanded to love our neighbor elsewhere in other passages. We're commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We automatically love ourselves, right? Love your neighbor likewise. Jesus does say that, but not in verse 34. He says nothing about loving the world. Well, that leaves C, your church, okay? Jesus commands church love in verse 34. And that's important. Martin Luther said this. He said, thank God, every seven-year-old child knows what the church is. Well, maybe in his day <laughs> he did, right? Namely, all who believe in and hear the voice of their shepherd, Jesus Christ. All believers in Christ together constitute the church around the globe. So the church is worldwide, but most importantly, it is local. It's local. Uh, Tip O'Neill was famous for saying that all politics is local. You could say the same about the church. The church is local. Now, I don't mean the church is a building per se. It's not. But it's a place where believers gather together around word and sacrament. And when Jesus commands us to love one another, he means that we should love those people with whom we gather around Jesus. We gather around his word. We gather around his very body and blood. We're to love those with whom we share the words and the table of the Lord. We should love them above all others. That's the command. Love them especially. Roman numeral 2. In verse 35, your witness to the world consists of your love for the church. Again, not a building, not necessarily a particular address, but all of us have to gather someplace, right? All of us have to gather at some address, but it's all of us together around those things of Jesus 
That's the church. Now, Jesus does not say that the world will know that we're Christians by our ability to do miracles. Doesn't say that. Jesus does not say that the world will know that we are his disciples because we love God or that we love Jesus. No, the world will know who we are because we love those believers with whom we gather, that local group. All church is local eventually. You've, you've got to go to an address. Letter A. St. Paul writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. See, we're to love everybody. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially them. The household of faith. And so I thought it might be helpful for us to listen to just some of the one another's of Scripture. There's a lot of these in the Bible, well, in the New Testament. Forty-seven times we're told to do something to or for one another, those with whom we gather. For example, we're told to be at peace with one another. We're told to not grumble against one another. We're told to accept one another, be of the same mind with one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another, love one another, serve one another, greet one another, be devoted to one another, pray for one another, speak truth to one another, bear one another's burdens, comfort one another. On and on it goes, and I've only shared with you one-fourth of the one another's in the New Testament. Paul reminds us, let us do good to one another. Let us do good to everyone, but especially the one another's, those who are of the household of the faith. Now, this is not easy. This is not easy to do. Why might it be hard? Well, point number one, the news, the media, when it talks about the church, it's usually in the negative. There's usually ugly facts being shared about the church. Otherwise, it wouldn't be news, right? If it bleeds, it leads. That's the news cycle. It's negative stuff. But secondly, some of us in the church have been hurt by others in the church, and that's why we may refuse to come back. Now, those kinds of things should never happen, but sadly they do. They happen because Jesus did not call perfect people to follow him, did he? He called people like you and me, sinners to follow him. And all of us will fail one another in some way, shape, or form sooner or later. And that's why he calls us to forgive one another and to be reconciled 
to one another. And finally, I think it's hard for us in the local congregation to always love one another. This is why. Just because of who we are and the way we are. Because of our own sinful nature. It was Aesop who wrote, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Contempt. We often display the wrong one another's, okay? We grow accustomed to one another. We become tired of one another. We irritate one another. And we imagine terrible things about one another, especially if we've been avoiding one another for a long period of time. And soon, we start to think within our own hearts, you know, that church across town is looking better all the time. Sometimes it's hard to love those closest to you. That's our nature. Roman numeral three. It's a good thing Jesus does not ask us to produce this love that we're supposed to have. Jesus says, in effect, I'm quoting Frederick Bruner here, keep on loving one another. This is to be a continual thing, not just one-time thing. It's not one and done. Keep on loving one another out of the wellspring of my love for you. Out of the wellspring of my love for you. Christ's love for you and for me. So this is not a love that you and I must produce somehow. It's a love that is already given to you and to me. And his love keeps springing up within you when you hear his word read and proclaimed. His love keeps springing up within you when you receive faithfully his supper, when you remember his baptismal promises to you. Letter A, the foot washing in our gospel reading really illustrates Jesus' crucifixion. It illustrates his crucifixion. The language betrays that. We read in verse 4 of our gospel, Jesus rose from supper and he laid down, this, this language here is significant. He laid down his outer garments and taking up a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Now that language of laying down and taking up is the very same language John uses in his gospel, chapter 10. It's the language Jesus uses in John 10 when he describes his crucifixion. Jesus says this in John 10, for this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. You see, the language used in the description of the foot washing is the same language Jesus uses in describing his own death. And when we serve one another sacrificially, when we forget ourselves long enough 
to give attention to the other, we experience the crucifixion of our sinful nature. When we deny ourselves and serve one another, we crucify our own sinful desires. We put them to death where they belong. Letter B. A quote from St. Augustine. Proud man would have perished eternally had he not been found by the lowly God. The God we worship is the God who becomes low. For prideful people like us, And let me add this point about foot washing in the ancient world. It involved washing off not just dust and mud from the feet. It involved washing off the remains of human excrement, which was thrown out of houses into the street. It included washing off animal waste, which was left on country roads and on city streets. And this was a task left to slaves particularly female slaves. And what makes Jesus so amazing is that in all the ancient world, this is the only example we have of someone occupying a superior status actually doing something like this for someone of inferior status. This is the only example in all ancient literature. And it, what Jesus does, represents an assault on our notions of social hierarchy and of status. And this, after all, is what St. Paul talks about in Philippians 2. Quote, although Christ existed as God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You won't find anyone else doing something like that other than Jesus. And I quote from an ancient church father. This is Bishop Severian of Gabala, which is in Syria around the 400s. Quote, He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped round himself a towel. He who pours waters into rivers and oceans poured water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. And let her see Let yourself be loved. Let yourself be loved by this Lord. Let his love have its way with you. The highest worship you or I can offer to God or to Jesus is to receive what he has to give. The highest worship we offer the Lord is to receive his love. Jesus said, As I have loved you, now that's the gospel, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now that's the command, that's the law, that's the mandatum. 
the latter depends completely on the former. That is to say, only as you avail yourself of his love are you then empowered to love those who are his. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.